Bikini Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. We've got a lot of new, exciting changes that are happening within the brand. And one thing that you may have noticed is we will no longer be calling the community Faith Walkers. We'll be calling them Legacy Leavers because that's what you all are. So thank you for joining us on the Awaka by Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Selena Caesar Chavan. She's a business consultant best-selling author and coach. She currently serves as the senior advisor, EDI initiatives, and adjacent lecturer at Queens University and her forthcoming book, Can You Hear Me Now? published by Penguin Random House Canada is available now. She was the former member of parliament for Whitby, parliamentary secretary for prime minister, Justin Trudeau, and Parliamentary Secretary for International Development. She's been featured in O Magazine, that's Oprah's Magazine, Vice News, Chatelaine, Huffington Post, and many other major media platforms across Canada, the US, and more. Please welcome to the show, Selena. (laughs) (laughs) That's a brilliant way to start. (laughs) I, I, there, there is so much to get into that I don't even want to like waste time with like some, you know, unnecessary back and forth. I want to jump straight into your story because I mean, I've been following you on social media for years. We've met in person multiple times. Our kids went to the same schools, but I recently read your book and I was like, okay, talk about the power of resilience. So I want to jump like straight into your story. Right, right. No long talk. No long talk. (laughs) Forget the potatoes. Let's get straight to the meat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Okay, so the last time I had you on the show, you were still in politics. You were, you know, running a very busy schedule in that realm. And you have since left politics, but you have been doing so much great work. So let's talk about your story since leaving politics. Walk us through that journey. Oh, my goodness. So that is a a rather tumultuous journey. (laughs) But one that has brought me to a point where I think there is a little bit of of peace and, um, and quiet and just just that joy i think that you want when you leave a 
a tumultuous sort of space. And I call uh, politics the most painfully beautiful experience that I've had mm. um, because it, it was really a painful exercise understanding that as a Black woman, you know, my title, my pres- my power, my job, my prestige didn't protect me from the racism and sexism that exists in our society. Not that I thought it would, but, you know, naively, I think you have the hope that you could go through your job in a way that is, that you could deflect some of these things from happening to you and it didn't. And, you know, that, that experience also allowed me to figure out how resilient I am, how Mm. I am able to stand in my truth, how I'm able to say that, no, these experiences are not going to own me. These experiences are not, I'm not going to allow it to happen to other people. I'm going to use my voice. I'm going to speak up about these issues. I'm going to talk about them. And I'm going to allow not just myself to become more resilient, but others around me to to become more resilient in the process. And that is the beauty of it. And since leaving politics, you know, I left a job that I really loved. I loved being a uh, member of parliament for Whitby. I loved being the parliamentary secretary for international development. And I had to leave that job. And that was a that was an equally painful experience. Um, but as I was writing the book, and I wrote most of the, the more difficult parts of the book after I left politics, it was a really cathartic experience. Um, mm-hmm. Writing down about all of the hurts and pains and mistakes that I've made throughout my life released a lot of that anxiety, a lot of that pain, a lot of that hurt. But it also made me realize how much those mistakes, hurts and pains prepared me for getting through the turmoil of politics. Mm-hmm. Does that makes it like it's, it's it, it makes sense. Because, <laughs> yeah, because you think, why do I go through all this crap? Why am I like hurting? Why am I in this pain? And then you go through something, and you're like, oh, all of that was preparing me for this moment. And that's that's the beauty of of the last year is that I really, through writing the book, through having the contractual obligation of having to um, to write, I was able to to release all of that stuff and. In that, in that release, create a, a a system in which I am a lot more compassionate, mm-hmm. a lot more committed to my advocacy, a lot more pe- committed to the people that I want to help create equity for, while at the same time not being so hustle and bustle, Selena. Actually right. taking the time to smell the roses. Actually taking the time to meditate and be centered and take care of myself in that process. It's, it was, uh, I've done a lot of healing. That's a long way of saying I did a lot of healing (laughs) over the last year. (laughs) I can see, see, I've got goosebumps right now. So, I mean, so many parts to what you just said. So first of all, in the journey of writing the book and how cathartic that was for you, Mm -hmm. um, speaking from both personal experience and knowing you as a person. So from personal experience, you know, when I wrote my first book, that was definitely healing for me to be Mm -hmm. able to get those parts out. And as you are processing your feelings and your emotions and you share that with the world, how it allows you to connect with other people and how they resonate with you, you know, on a deeper level. And the fact that you're on this healing journey and discovering more of who Selena is, like, have you found that since releasing the book, on top of, you know, going through your own healing journey, 
has that affected your relationship with other people? Oh, for sure. I liken it to a a cup. You know, we always talk about, you know, our cup being full. Oh my God, Mm -hmm. my cup is so full. My plate is so full. Well, you know, I found that especially in the last two years, especially coming out of politics, I would say to my husband, and I, I talk about our relationship in, our, in the book quite openly, but mm-hmm. I would say to my husband, you know, my my cup is, is too full. My plate is too full. And the only thing I could have on my plate right now is finishing this job, like getting out of politics alive and <laughs> my kids, right? Like mm-hmm. I have to look after the kids. I don't necessarily have to care for or look after you, my husband. Mm-hmm. And I could put myself even on the back burner, which is a terrible, terrible strategy. Mm-hmm. But as I was writing the book, I recognized quite miraculously that my cup or my plate got less and less full. Mm. And it wasn't until after I finished writing and look back on the process that I realized that my my cup wasn't actually full of good stuff. It was full of crap. Right. It was full of all that toxins and junk that I was holding on to, that I was keeping the mistakes that I was owning, I, I you know, owning those mistakes, but also keeping them. Like if you own mm-hmm. something, you can decide whether you want to keep <laughs> it, throw it away, rent it out, do something with it. But I was owning it and keeping them like inside me. And as I was writing, I thought, oh my God, this cup is getting less and less full because it's 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 releasing all of that crap. And mm-hmm. therefore I was able at the end of writing it or within especially within the last couple of months. So this is a very new process for me, right? I, I haven't been to the top of a Buddhist mountain or anything. This is like a very new process for me. As, as I, I recognized that my cup was less and less full, I put my husband back in the cup and mm-hmm. I put myself back in the cup. And those are the things that I love. Those are the things that bring me joy. So right now, I only keep things on my plate or in my cup that bring me joy, that bring me satisfaction. My advocacy work, my children, my husband, myself. Mm. And that's that's the unit of strength that I draw from, that I drink from. Everything else that goes into that cup that is not healthy to me doesn't go near it. Right. And I think after all the experiences that you've been through, not just in politics, but in all areas of your life, it's important now for you to put you first. Um, you yes. know, in the book, you talk so transparently about your journey of being an immigrant child and depression and your relationship with your mom and grief and abortion and racism and your marriage. Like there's so many parts that you were so transparent about. And I'm someone who admires hearing other women's stories and how you've been able to work through those things and still be the woman you are today. And as much as sometimes we may not feel strong in the moment, but someone that other people can admire to be like, wow, okay. So if she was able to go through this, then I can continue like to give other people that inspiration to keep moving forward. And when you read the entire book. And like I said, I've been following on social for years and you know, social media just gives you tidbits of, of people's right. lives. And I've, I, I mean, I've, I've seen you speak live and I've seen certain things and the same way that people may have an assumption about, you know, who anybody is based on what they, they see online. But it's like hearing the backstory of mm-hmm. the struggles, hearing the things that you've had to overcome, seeing the fact that you've had so many experiences that other people may not have been able to continue and walk through as gracefully as you have, despite, 
you know, the fact that it was painful, despite the fact that you were processing through depression. You know what I mean? It's like, there are so many things I want to unpack here. I don't even know where to start first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's start with you being open about depression. Right. How has that changed things for you? So being open, you know, a lot of people say, oh, that's so courageous. That's so brave. And I I mean, the original uh, thought or the original process of me being open was was writing a blog about it, not thinking that it would go viral, not thinking that anybody would listen. And it did. It happened to go viral. I wrote it, you know, during my first year of, of politics. And someone said something to me, you know, I had a lot of people, people that were saying, especially women of color, black women saying, you know, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being so open and transparent. But one person sent me a note and she kept herself anonymous. And she said that, you know, it's great that you're able to tell your story, but I'm afraid that if I tell mine, I'll lose my job or I may lose my kids. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, what a, like, how tragic is that to have a disease and be so afraid of losing parts of yourself, important parts of, of yourself, your children, your job, your your things that you that you need because you're afraid to talk about it. And it mm-hmm. was in that moment that I recognized for the first time, I think, the power of my voice to actually do good. And that mm-hmm. was in 2016. And Again, it, it it was selfishly so because the more I spoke up about my mental health, my mental state, the better I felt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the more I spoke up about it, the better others felt. But it was a selfish endeavor because I was feeling good too. I was no longer <laughs> fighting with my husband every time I woke up in the morning and wasn't feeling well. I would just say, look, don't test me today because it's not a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. Right. And it would save like, you know, 24 hours of pure, unadulterated, like hell in this house. And so talking up about it, especially now we're we're in a global pandemic, we're talking about racial inequality, we're, we're having so many stressors. You know, I don't put out my story or how I feel to get pity. I have a great support network. I put it out because I want other people to know that they're not alone. And it's the same reason why I wrote the book that the way I did. I want people to know that they're not alone in their journey. I want people to know that there's other people that are that see them, that are going to understand how they're feeling, that are going to try to be supportive. And I talk about being compliant with my medication. I talk about, you know, how the weather impacts me. I talk about meditating. I talk about all these kinds of things because I want other I also want people to know that there's many ways to walk down this journey of mental illness. Mm-hmm. And there's no one size fits all. But it also helps the people that are supporting that individual as well to know that, hey, Selena is not compliant with her medication. So take it easy on your partner who also isn't. It's it's right. the way the brain works when you have uh, a mental illness. I think the way that, so the way that you said, you know, you're not sharing your story for a pity party because you have your own support system. You're sharing it so that other people know that they're not alone. Right. I think that that's the beauty in sharing our stories. And I say all the time, like our, your story may be about you, but it isn't only for you. Right. And listening to even how you've processed sharing your story and how I process sharing my story and the many of the other women who have come on and shared their story on the podcast, 
it's, it creates a sense of community because there are so yeah. many people that are out here feeling alone or feeling ashamed or feeling guilt or feeling, yeah. you know, all these negative emotions about their own truth. And then mm-hmm. they start to isolate themselves and they fall into these deeper spirals of depression. And I can say firsthand, like I had a family member who I, I knew she was like a manic depressive. She was really struggling with depression. And when she was diagnosed with being bipolar, her parents told her not to tell anyone. And mm-hmm. she had confided in me, but she needed a support system. She needed a community of support. And I didn't have the capacity to be her only support system, but because she felt so alone, like trigger warning here, she ended up committing suicide. And it's like, there are so many people out here feeling alone in their own situations, in their own stories. And just reading a book like yours can be, bring so much comfort to someone to know that they are not crazy, that they are not, you know, alone in their situation or in their feelings. And that it's okay to be open about how you're feeling and it's okay to, you know, if you feel like in a safe space to share what you're going through. So it creates more of a community. Right. Right. And even, even the idea that even if they're not sharing, they know that someone else is going through their struggle. So Mm -hmm. they could have that sort of kinship in that realization, even if they keep it to themselves, because Mm -hmm. it is, you know, in some situations, and I know as as someone who's able to talk about it quite transparently, that there's some individuals who don't, who can't do that because it's not safe for them for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. right? Right. So when we do that, when we allow ourselves to be a little bit vulnerable, and I talk about this in the book, it, uh, it builds resiliency. And that's mm-hmm. what we need. We need that that res, a, a community of resilience. And it's not just resilience in the way that we define it, you know, being twice as good, twice as fast, twice as, <laughs> twice as everything. <laughs> that is not a sustainable model for living. Right. Being resilient means that even if we're being twice as good, twice as fast, working twice as hard, that we give ourselves a break and we give each other a break. And, you know, if, if you've read... Um, Trey Anthony's book, um, you know, Black Girl in Love with Herself, she talks about this in a way that's so profound. And she talks about the fact that, you know, I think as, as sisters, we we usually are like, girl, just just get over it. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Instead of practicing how to hug each other mm-hmm. and love each other and support each other. And it, it, that's that's how you you build resiliency in that vulnerability. Absolutely. I believe it's very important when we are going through these emotions. And it's funny, I used to be in a community of women where they made you feel like, like you just said, you know, get over it, you know, just focus on the positive. And I didn't understand toxic positivity until maybe about a year ago. Um, So even though I'm in that space of personal development, understanding that we have to, as humans, process our feelings and emotions. We have like, it's not shameful for you to have your moment and cry. It's not shameful for you to feel sad or angry or any of those things. You can feel that, but don't get stuck in the tunnel. It's, you know, continuing to process the emotion, feel it all the way through. And then you can, you know, look forward to the next move or moving forward. But when we start tucking our emotions away, they seep out in other areas of our life. And like you were talking before about, you know, being angry with your husband or waking up and having those moments that those explosions, because that's what happens when we tuck our emotions away and try not to deal with them. Well, I mean, think about this even on the micro level. You know, when when people talk to me and they're always asking, you know, how do you get over imposter syndrome? And it's like, well, why do we have to get over it? Why mm-hmm. can't we work through 
that imposter, that person, I call her my chief risk mitigation strategist because I don't call <laughs> any part of myself an imposter. But when when that pops up, you know, I talk that through. What are we nervous about? What are we mm-hmm. what are we anxious about? What are we fearing that we're about to start something new? Why do you think we're going to fail? Why do you think we're going to mess up? Why do you, and I talk through that imposter. So even on the micro level, not, never mind talking about depression and anxiety and anger and those kind of things. Even on the micro level, we still need to talk through First of all, acknowledge those feelings that we have as small yeah. as they are, and then talk them through with ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. let's have a relationship with ourselves again, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like, exactly. like our three-year-old self. Let's have that relationship with ourselves where we could play dress up and dolly and, you know, have these imaginary <laughs> conversations with ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're joking about it, but there, there's so much truth in that because when we want to get to know someone, we spend time with that person, right? We right. study that person. We, we get to know them on a deeper level. How often do we do that with ourselves? And I mean, I'm someone, I'm someone who's introverted. So I spend a lot of time alone. So I'm okay with that, but not everybody is right. So we have to be okay with getting to know ourselves, asking ourselves those important questions. And a couple of weeks ago, I did an episode with a psychotherapist and she was very open about her experiences of imposter syndrome. And that was so powerful for listeners to hear that someone in, even in her profession, talk Mm -hmm. about being a human being. You know, mm-hmm. because sometimes people assume because you have a particular label or title that you are exempt from certain feelings, and that's not true. For sure, for sure, it, it's it's not true. And and again, when you're able to use that microphone, use that megaphone in a way that says, you know, me too, or I'm, you're not alone, or even in my power, prestige, profession, position, whatever. I'm struggling or I'm just as human as you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. Those are the beautiful moments that connect our humanity and create the empathy that's required to, to transform ourselves. And that's the key word right there, empathy. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> we've got a huge part of the population and I don't know, maybe it's just because, you know, this day and age and technology and everything else that's around us, but there's a huge population of people that don't lead with empathy you know they lead with judgment and ego and all of those things and it's it's empathy that we all need at the end of the day well it is and and you know even when we're talking about things like equity um robert livingston he's a, a professor in the u.s at the harvard kennedy school talked about creating equity in workplaces like racial equity or gender equity at the center of his framework is empathy and I'm actually uh, g- going back to school. Um, I, I've, I've switched awesome. my, my PhD um, dissertation to study empathy, to study what it does to the brain, to study, uh, you know, I have a background in cognitive neural rehabilitation. Um, that's why I cut my, my teeth in research before getting into politics. Um, but understanding what empathy does, how to tap into it, how do we teach it? How do we pull out those reserves of empathy when we're in situations when we could allow our ego to over to take over or allow our pride to take over? I think it's a, a missing component of how we are going to build back better again in a pandemic, mm-hmm. in conversations about racial inequality all with the backdrop of climate change still happening and global geopolitical crises, 
We need to change things and do things differently. If diversity, equity, and inclusion is a multi-billion dollar industry that has not benefited everyone, how are we going to talk about things differently? And um, I think that that empathy conversation is one that is at least worth exploring. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a complete empath. I cry for everything. I feel everyone's emotions. I feel energy. And sometimes it's so deep that I can't be around people. Like right. most people will assume that, you know, because you're someone who is, you know, active on social media, that you're outgoing and that you're, you know, extroverted. And I go into, well, pre-pandemic, being in networking spaces, and I would shut down because I feel so many different emotions in the room, so much energy in the room. I've watched TV shows like American Idol and America's Got Talent and (laughs) ball my behind off, like cry like a baby in the fetal position. (laughs) You too, eh? (laughs) Yeah. So I feel so deeply. And when you see people write negative comments on social media or you hear stories from other people, you know, about things that they're going through, it can be very heavy as an empath. But then again, like I was explaining before, there are people out there that it's almost like they haven't developed any empathy. They don't have that ability because they come so harsh with, you know, the the judgment and criticism and lack of empathy that it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and why though? So we have to think about how did we get to this, this moment? And again, I think one of the reasons the book was written the right way it was, is because we live in this Instagram filtered world where, you know, even our our pictures on social media, everything seems so perfect. Mm -hmm. Why would we need empathy? You know, everybody has these perfect lives. You know, I have pictures of my husband and we're like, you know, the pose picture where the head is back (laughs) and you're smiling and you're like that, you know how many times it takes to take that picture? (laughs) Let me throw my head back one more time. Your neck is sore, but you're still trying to take that stupid picture, right? So that it's the perfect picture. So you can post, oh, that's the one we post on Instagram. You know, we, we get dressed up and it's like, we're going nowhere, but we have to take the perfect picture and we filter it and we do all of these things. When are we going to recognize that people have blood, sweat, and tears? Mm -hmm. People have struggles. People have challenges. And if we're only showing or telling the filtered version of our stories or the Instagram filtered versions, we are never going to create the empathy because we're not telling a a real story. We are not talking the truth. Right. And you can only build empathy if you're able to talk about the truth of circumstances. Absolutely. And I think that was that was why I even started this podcast because social media gives the highlight reel or it'll give a moment. You know, I could take a family shoot with my kids and that one split second that they take the photo where everyone is smiling, but then for the rest of the 30 minutes while we're t- trying to do the shoot, no one is getting along, no Yo, one is cooperating. <laughs> we are yelling, we are bickering in the car, like annoyed. <laughs> But people see that one. I thought that was my family. Oh, no, no. (laughs) So the beauty of the podcast is you get to have these real conversations. You get to hear about the behind the scenes. You get to hear about the different adversities and things that people had to overcome to become resilient. Like when I did the two-year anniversary of the podcast, my theme for months was resilience is my superpower because it 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 was like sharing the adversities and sharing the the deep stuff that people don't want to talk about, it was hard. It was. Right. 
but I feel like it made me stronger. It made me more focused on self-care and healing and finding peace and being focused on helping other people to find that peace too, because this world can be pretty chaotic if, if you're focusing on what's, you know, on the news and what's being pushed in front of our face. Right, 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 right. We have to create those spaces for, for that to be able to happen. Otherwise, mm-hmm. where are you going to get it from? Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not sure everybody is on the same journey <laughs> as <laughs> I am. And to be honest, you know, after leaving politics, it was a, okay, Selena, you need to rest. You need to take time for yourself. You need to, you know, just take it easy for five minutes. And I was like, why would I do that? Type A personality. I got to keep going. I got to, you know, get the next. I got to conquer the next thing. I got to win. We got to. And at some point, at some point, we just need to take a break. Mm -hmm. We just need to give ourselves permission to say, no, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to, I'm going to take it easy. And and that's not to say that, you know, you're not working hard and you're not doing things. It's just, we're not, we're not at that. I'm not, to be quite honest, at that same pace that I was even a year ago. And that Mm -hmm. anxious pace too, like Mm -hmm. that anxious pace. I always have to keep up and see what other people are doing and try to know I'm I'm Mm. just not there anymore. Mm -hmm. it's, It's a wonderful place to be. Amen to that. I think that's where the growth, that is where the growth happens. Honestly, I feel like if you think about someone who goes to the gym and the days that they are in the gym, working that muscle hard, it's in the days where that muscle is being relaxed. Let's say, you know, today was leg day and tomorrow, you know, the muscle in your resting phase of leg day, that's where the growth is happening. So I think the learning is happening as well, right? Yes. Yes. You know, people look at the hustle and I, I used to be that hustle mentality. I'm not there anymore. I think I haven't been there for like the past three years. (laughs) (laughs) I just got there, girl. I just got there and I'm, I'm loving this ride. Right. The car has gas. I'm like, it has gas. If it don't, I'm like, well, sit and rest for a while. (laughs) right exactly like my focus right now is not hustle it is peace love comfort belonging and freedom that is where i'm trying to be yes yeah i when i was reading your book there were so many moments in there where you were experiencing such challenging times and i teared up when you spoke about your husband's support through it all Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I'm I'm a hopeless romantic, and maybe one day I'll find myself in a relationship that is healthy. Um, but when I hear, you know, when you were sharing parts about you being in Ottawa and having your moment, and your husband just showed up and you know allowed you to cry, like all of those things, I cried because I was like, girl, like <laughs> can, can can we clone some of those qualities and create more men like that that can support women through? the challenging things that we go through that nobody wants to acknowledge. You know, everyone wants to label us as strong women or strong black women. Right. Right. But we're, we're human. We have feelings. Right. So, and, and and that's why I said earlier that what I talk about my mental illness is not for pity mm-hmm. because I know the strength that I have in, in my, my family and my surroundings and I'm able to, to be resilient and, and pick up the next day because they've allowed me to cry the day before. Mm-hmm. Right. And not a lot of situations, not a lot of people are in that situation yeah. where they get that freedom to, to cry the night before so that they could, you know, work the next day. And it's when people ask me about burnout, you know, how do you avoid burnout? Well, 
how do you avoid burnout is don't burn out. <laughs> <laughs> Only you could burn yourself out. Nobody yeah. else could do that. Yeah. Right. And so, yes, I do have a support system, but I also have to recognize when and how to preserve what, you know, my, myself and not take advantage of that support system, but also say to, to other people that it's, it's, it's important that we don't burn out. This is the work that we're doing is hard, especially when we're talking about equity or justice. Well, mm-hmm. That work is hard. It's not, it's not easy work. It's not light work. And you don't burn out because you don't burn out. Not because the other person didn't allow it, but mm-hmm. also surrounding yourself with that support network that will say to you, take a break. Mm-hmm. And not that that support network that's like, let's just keep going. It's fine. You're strong. You're No, that's not sustainable. And those people are not protecting you by doing that. Absolutely. I agree 1000%. I believe that it's important for us to honor our feelings and listen to our body. And it'll tell you when, you know, when you're on the verge of burnout, if you pay attention to how you're feeling um, and that, that support system is important because then they can help you be accountable to honoring your feelings. To you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Be accountable to you. (laughs) Well, who are we ever accountable to ourselves? Like we're always the accountability is such a powerful and overused word. You hold everybody needs to be held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are you holding yourself accountable? <laughs> are and you that's doing like that? Like, <laughs> when last did you hold yourself accountable? When last did you talk to your imposter? When last mm. did you have that feeling of of tiredness and say, you know what? I'm gonna take five. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take five. I'm good with it. When last did you did you listen to yourself and hold yourself to account by by doing those things? You know, that's important too. I think the pandemic has allowed me the space to honor myself even more. Girl, <laughs> I could have a busy work day and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go take a 30 minute nap. <laughs> I could have one of those days like, "Mm, I'm going to go walk for an hour in nature. Like I am honoring myself so much. So in this pandemic, I feel like health wise, I am probably the best I've been in years because of that. People are doing that though. Do you think everybody's doing, I hope everybody's doing that. No, I would like to believe so, but no, I've, I've spoken to other women who are in the coaching field. And when I told one woman, my self-care routine and how I broke it down into like mind, body, and soul daily, she was like, oh, that sounds like a luxury. I'm like, "Mm, pardon? Pardon? (laughs) I'm a single mother of three. You have a husband and a support system. And you're saying to me, you can't find five minutes in the day to honor your feelings and yeah, do what's no. best for you. That's I not a luxury. Yeah, that's a necessity. Yeah, that is a that is a necessity. But you know, not everybody is there. And this is something that I I, I recognize, especially during the pandemic. So when you when when you're a go, go, go person, and you know, I wrote in the book how how Stacy Barry, what who used to work for me, told me to just take it easy over the next little while. And I was just like, no, I must keep going. I have to keep going. The pandemic hit and everything shut down. So I was Mm -hmm. forced to take it easy. Mm -hmm. I realized during those moments of not just taking it easy, but studying spiritual practices, meditation, those kinds of things, 
that people get to that point where they're able to not think of taking care of yourself as a luxury, mm-hmm. they get to that point when they're ready to get to that point. True. Do you know what Very I mean? Very not true. everybody is on that journey where they could recognize, where they could see Selena now and they're like, why are you so Zen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I made a choice to be Zen. Like, And I was ready to be Zen. I wasn't ready 10 years ago or five years ago. I'm ready now. And everything that the universe has conspired to do made this moment the right moment for right. me to be in this practice. And, I, and, and not everybody is in is ready to be in this moment. And therefore the universe doesn't allow that to happen for them. And I think the key point of what you said is choice as well, right? Because mm-hmm. once you right. make a decision to do something, everything that you need conspires to make that possible. To make that it's, possible. It, it's about making the choice. And some people right. have not consciously come to the place where they're ready to make that choice, either because of right. their current circumstances or what they're focusing on. So I, I totally get it. Or they're supposed to make that choice and they spend months and months, like I did, resisting it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like, uh, no, you're supposed to calm down, Selena. No, no, I'm going to, no, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to, I'm going to fight to find something to do. It's like, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you could fight this all you want, sweetheart, but eventually you're going to have to stop. And it, the eventually came with COVID. It was like mm-hmm. the universe was saying, you are so damn stubborn mm-hmm. that we're not just going to stop you. We're going to stop everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Otherwise, I, you're not listening. <laughs> I have those moments where I'm like, you can't argue with God because yeah, you will yeah, get a yeah. slap upside your head. And it's like, you're fighting, you're arguing, you're arguing. God's like, no, girl, no, no girl. No, no, and you're not no. listening. And then you just get a backhand and you have to yeah. sit down. Well, COVID was the backhand. And I was just like, well, you didn't have to stop everybody. <laughs> And it's, it's almost like the, the the voice was like, but you don't listen. So I mm-hmm. had to like put the brakes on the whole world just to mm-hmm. stop you. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So so how do you how do you stay motivated now, right now? Oh my goodness. Um I I practice now. I practice living in the moment. And understanding the purpose that I have. So I am very clearly understand the the power that I have in my voice to do good, the power that I could have to, to transform spaces. So I understand that power and I live in that very intentionally. Mm-hmm. So I'm not chasing everything. Yeah. I am doing what I'm motivated to do through my purpose and so every moment of my day is completely intentional and that keeps me motivated. So I'm not tired doing the things that I love or mm-hmm. too tired to do the things that I love to do. I'm okay to do the stuff that I do because I do, like you said, take time for personal, professional and spiritual rest mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. intentionality around the work that I'm doing. So there is a clear focus on the now. So when people say to me, Selena, what, what are you doing next? What's next for Selena? I'm like, I'm doing now next. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> whatever, whatever now offers is what I'm going to do next. 
and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to live in it. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy being present in the gift that is the present. I love that. I love that on so many different levels because I believe that's a very common question in interviews, like what's next for you, right? And yeah. I find that now because of the headspace that I'm in, my response to that is the next level of where I'm at now because yeah. I'm trying to focus on the now. And as much as we do have goals about the future, it's like if we are hyper-focused on the future, it brings anxiety. But when you're living in the now and you're focused on the now, well, it has brought me a lot more peace. So instead of being anxious about, you know, the next accolade or the next thing or whatever to check off the list, because my focus is peace, I am living in the now. I'm home with my kids. I'm healthy. I'm like, you know what I mean? Like all of those things are, it's what the focus is. Right. And and I I say, and I, I can't remember if I said it in the book, but if the if the journey is so full of anxiety and stress and worry, how could the destination be something that we enjoy? Mm-hmm. Right. So if we're, if we're, even if we're chasing the next thing, you know, we, we want to be the best selling author and we're chasing that and we're not even taking time to appreciate some moments on the journey to becoming that best selling author. Mm-hmm. How can being the best selling author be a great moment for you? As soon mm-hmm. as that moment happens, you're going to be like, oh, I need to get something next. Exactly. Because you didn't enjoy the whole experience of getting to that space, right? So it, it's just a space, just a moment, and then you, you're on to the next thing. So enjoy the little moments on the journey of whatever next is. And, you know, living in the now doesn't mean that I don't have aspirations. I don't want to do things. That's not the point. Living mm-hmm. in the now means that the journey to get there involves appreciating those little moments, those little moments of, of miracles that happen along the way. Mm, I love that. You know, this past week, I've been really focused on the difference between nature and culture. And I think culturally, you know, we're, we're taught to strive for success in a way that is, I'm going to say measured by the outside world, you know, looking at, you know, accolades and lists and blah, blah, blah. But I find when we are focused on what feels good naturally, it's not the competition. It's not all of those things. You know, I find peace and joy reading a book, meditating, going for funnel cake, walking outside. <laughs> like those, those things may not be on someone else's list of success. No. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But naturally, those are the things that bring me joy or make me feel good or, or I find peace in. So I'm focused more on the nature side of things than the culture side of things. That's important to hear because I think that's what I'm struggling with right now is my mind, even as I am enjoying these moments, my mind is still saying, girl, why aren't you doing X and why aren't you doing Y? And, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's like, I just, I, and I, I keep thinking it's related to my motivation and I'm like, no, I'm not, it's not that I'm not motivated to do it. I just don't want to do it right now. I want Mm -hmm. to enjoy this right now. But I've been conditioned for 46 years to (laughs) push and push and push and push and push. And so part of my journey at this moment is to say, okay, we're going to set some goals. We're going to do some things, but we're not actually going to worry about all of the things that your mind is trying to worry about. We're going to meditate through that. We're going to 
breathe through those mm-hmm. and 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 take our time on the rest of this journey. And that I'm struggling with that. So I don't even know if what I just said made sense, but I'm struggling no, it does. with that on a daily basis of just are you sure you're supposed to be just totally zenning out? Are you sure you're supposed <laughs> to be living in the now? Because the now seems like it's making me more, more, more anxious than, than anything else. <laughs> I get it because I feel like my transition from the hustle version of me to the peace version of me that I found now, I was in that place of conflict. Right, but I had to. Yeah, it was. It's a place of conflict because vibrationally, you're not in harmony. It's almost like, like you said, one part of you is trying to do the the goals and the lists and all the other things, but then the nature side of you is being like, okay, right now I want to meditate. I want to be calm. I want to be still. So there's that battle. Reading the rest of that novel. (laughs) (laughs) You can't read a novel between nine and five. This is not what normal people do. I'm like, I'm reading this book. It's wit- written by a Whitby author, uh, Gwen uh, Tinman, and she, it, it, the the last Hoffman. It's called the last Hoffman. Girl, this book has me wrapped up. And I'm like, why are you reading fiction? Who re- get a newspaper? Get a periodical. You, you've been programmed. But you I want. I want to just grab some popcorn, sit in, by the bay window, and just. Who finished re- girl the book you just get to the climax part boy I want to <laughs> I left it beside my bed because I'm like if I bring it downstairs I'm not gonna do anything today. I'm not gonna do it I'm know, gonna make McKinney's pop podcast that's it I'm I'm over I'm over but like I said I you gotta to honor honor your spirit honestly I know, and I tell I you I read my book the, do you know how I got through your book so quickly so I I, I like to read multiple books at a time. I'll have an audiobook going, an ebook going, and a physical yes. book going. And I had your book on audio. And the only time I can find a space where I'm not trying to do things around the house or, you know, work or whatever is if I listen to podcasts and audios in the car. And with COVID, we can't go anywhere. But what I've been doing is going for a long drive. I will drive to the West End and back. So that gives me two hours to listen <laughs> to your book. <laughs> So I am focused. <laughs> so honor your feelings. I was like, no, I want, I want to read this book. <laughs> I should do that. I need to. I need. I, I need to do that. I should. I should do the podcast because I don't. Mm-hmm. And like a walk and listen and just go and yeah. just be out of here because I yeah. knew I do need to be outside a lot and I do stay outside a lot because. It's, we're finally getting some sunshine and I, I just, I need it. I need to soak it all in. Mm-hmm. All right. So I want you to tell the people where they can stay connected with you online. Oh yeah. Uh, so all social medias, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook at I am Selena CC, I A M C E L I N A C C. And on my website, you could order my book and the the journal that goes with the Can You Hear Me Now through my website, which is www.selinacc.ca. That's C-E-L-I-N-A-C-C.ca. And yeah, those are the, the two best ways to get in touch. Awesome. I will definitely have the details in the detail section below your episode so they can just click and connect with you and they don't have to search too far. That's great. That's great. But thank you. You know, I just want to say thank you to you for using 
this platform to have these conversations. They are so critically important. And how you transform one life at a time is how we are going to change the world. So thank you to you and your vulnerability and your resilience being your superpower and sharing those with the world. Thank you. Thank you so much, Selena. I honestly, I... It's women like you that continue to inspire me and encourage me to keep going because we are all human. We all have adversities and things that we experience and go through. But the more that I see the women around me that are continuing to own their truth and their story, it lets me know that what I'm doing is worth it. It does make sense. People do need this more and more. So I will continue. Thank you. You you have to continue because game recognize game. And until I get my (laughs) picture up in Times Square... <laughs> so I just want to be clear about who's setting the bar here. Uh, until that happens for me, I can live in the now all I want, but that image is seared into my mind. And I'm like, if she could do it, my tail is going to be up on a, a billboard in Times Square at some point in my life. Listen, I don't know when, happen. but it's going to happen. <laughs> it will happen. Game recognized game, girl. So <laughs> I'm you, speaking you, it you into doing your thing and pushing us to do our thing as authentically as possible. And we'll, we'll enjoy this ride together. Amen to all of that. Thank you. I will do my best. Let's see when, when these borders open back up and you know, we can travel freely. Uh, I'll do my best to make sure that we have a, a another billboard in Times Square because I, yes. I need one that is not associated to anyone else. Um, <laughs> and then I, I need I to <laughs> and then I I need to make sure that you're up there as well. So we're yes. speaking yeah, into existence. Exactly. We're going to make it happen. Coaching. Yes, that's yes. that's where I need your coaching lessons. I, I got you. That. I got you. All right. <laughs> You take care, my dear, and thank you so much for this. You too. Thank you, Selena. I love you, darling. Love you too. (laughs) To all you legacy leavers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Join the community of legacy leavers and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com and be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you can think of one person challenging you to three that would resonate with Selena's story, please share it with them. Be sure to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag me on Instagram at the real McKinney Smith and I will definitely share. Continue to walk in your greatness in a manner worthy of your calling. <laughs>